All right, take your Bible, go with me to Mark chapter 2. We're going to wrap up chapter 2 this morning and then go into the first few verses of chapter 3. And that video we just saw, um, you might be wondering, what does that have to do with, with Mark chapter 2? Well, um, not, not anything explicitly, but it does uh, play into, as, as we are to make disciples, one of, those, uh, one of the things that we do is, as we make disciples is to, to tell people what Jesus is like. And this morning we're going to see um, some of the things that Jesus cares about and, and some of the things that he does not care about. Um, and we're going to see the way that he interacts with the, with the religious leaders uh, who are very concerned with outward appearances, with, uh, with keeping the letter of the law, and not just the law, but the rules that they have uh, in, put on top of the law, and how Jesus doesn't really care about those things at all. Jesus' focus was on people. He, he cared about people, and he cared about uh, revealing the kingdom of God to people. Now, last week we saw uh, a question uh, put to Jesus about why he and his disciples don't fast when John, John the Baptist's disciples and the Pharisees uh, made, made a regular practice of fasting. In fact, the Pharisees would fast twice a week on Monday and Thursdays. And, and they look at Jesus and his disciples and they see them uh, really having a good time and, and feasting. And, and they get a little jealous, maybe, and, and certainly um, angry because they don't see Jesus holding to their religious customs. And, and as I said last week, in, in chapter 2 and then the, the beginning of chapter 3, we, we see really five confrontations between Jesus and the religious leaders. And today we're going to look at number 4 and 5 of those. Um, and so, so far we've seen uh, during, in the first part of chapter 2 the, the healing of a paralytic when the, the friends brought their paralyzed friend and they lowered him down through the roof. And the, the question that was put to Jesus then was, who can forgive sins but God alone? Then when Jesus called uh, Matthew or Levi, the tax collector, to follow him, the, the, the confrontation there was, see, look, Jesus eats with tax collectors and sinners. And as I said last week, maybe at the very time that the, that the Pharisees and other religious leaders were fasting, Jesus was was feasting and celebrating with, with Matthew and his sinner friends. And that the religious leaders didn't like that very much. And last week, of course, we saw, why, why don't you fast? Why don't you follow these religious customs? And today, uh, we're going to look at the last two of these confrontations in chapters 2 and 3. And both of these will center around the Sabbath. And uh, some, some questions about the, the purpose of the Sabbath, as well as uh, what the religious leaders have done to go over and beyond what the, what the letter of the law said in the Old Testament and put their own restrictions on there. All right, so that's going to take us to uh, Mark chapter 2, verse 23. If you have your copy of God's Word, let me invite you to stand with me and let's read the Word of the Lord together. Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 23. It says, on the Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to make their way, picking some heads of grain. The Pharisee said to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? He said to them, have you never read what David and those who were with him did when he was in need and hungry? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priests, and also gave some to his companions. Then he told them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So then the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. 
Jesus entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a shriveled hand. In order to accuse him, they were watching him closely to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath. He told the man with the shriveled hand, stand before us. Then he said to them, is it lawful to, to, to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. After looking around at them with anger, he was grieved at the hardness of their hearts and told the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and his hand was restored. Immediately the Pharisees went out and started plotting with the Herodians against him how they might kill him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word, which continues to speak to our lives, even in the midst of pandemics. I pray for perseverance in these days as we, as so much of our lives continue to be disrupted. I pray as we, we here in New Mexico, we begin to see the first signs of, of reopening as some people are going back to work. We certainly pray for safety. Um, pray that your hand of protection would be upon those who are returning back to work. Um, pray for um, just a sense, of, a sense of patience as we continue to go throughout these days. May we not despair, but may we continue to have hope in Christ Jesus. This morning, as we look at the Sabbath, as we look at this day of rest, will you open our eyes to, to what it was intended to be? Will you remind us of the blessing of a day of rest that you have worked into the very order of creation? Speak to us through your word this morning. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, so we're going to really look at two big things here in this, throughout this passage. The first one that we need to see is that Jesus came to bring real, lasting rest. And we see that in chapter 2, starting in verse 23, going to the end of the chapter. Now, what the Pharisees did is they took something that should have been a blessing, that was, that was intended to be a blessing, and they turned it into a burden. See, if you remember, God set the example for us in this day of rest in, in Genesis uh, chapters 1 and 2. When, when he created everything, we're told that on the seventh day he rested. He set this example for us of rest. In the, the law, when we get into Leviticus, there, there are some restrictions that, that God put on what could and could not be done on the Sabbath. Again, not intending to burden people, but to bless them with a day of rest. By the time Jesus comes on the scene, however, what the Pharisees had done is they had made the restrictions on what could and couldn't be done on the Sabbath so stringent that they turned what was supposed to be a blessing into a burden. So the, the Pharisees had a list of 39 specific types of work which could not be done on the Sabbath. Okay, so they actually had it down like to a list. Here, here are things you cannot do on the Sabbath. Let's, let's look at this passage together, starting in verse 23, and then we'll, we'll see how what Jesus and the disciples did um, kind of fought against that, um, that, those rules that the Pharisees had put on the Sabbath. 
Verse 23 says, On the Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to make their way, picking some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Now, what's happening there? Because they're walking through a field, and they're picking heads of grain, which, which was legal. That was uh, something that the law very specifically laid out, that, that the, uh, the edges of the field were to be left for those who were traveling, so they could, they could pick uh, heads of grain, and uh, they could feed themselves or have a snack to keep from getting hungry on, on journeys. So what they're doing is not, is not illegal. It's not against the law. The, the issue is they're doing it on the Sabbath. And again, I mentioned that the 39 uh, kinds of work that the Pharisees specifically said were not allowed on the Sabbath. One of those was reaping. So you could not go out and you could not harvest your grain field on the Sabbath. Well, when the Pharisees were walking alongside the road and they began to pick the heads off of the stock, according to the laws the Pharisees had set, that was reaping, pulling the, the head of grain off of the stalk would have been considered reaping. So they were doing work on the Sabbath. Secondly, another form of work that was, uh, that was forbidden on the Sabbath, according to the Pharisees' regulations, was uh, threshing. Now, now, normally, that would mean pouring all the grain into a floor and, uh, under, under the floor and then uh, walking through it and, and, and separating the, the, uh, the husk from the, from the head of grain itself. What the disciples would do, the way they would get the, the head of grain out of the, the husk, is they would rub it in their hands. And according to the Pharisees' rules and regulations, when they, did, when they rubbed them together, they were threshing the wheat. Therefore, they were doing work on the Sabbath, and therefore they were doing what is not lawful. So you see how they, they put these restrictions on the this on the Sabbath work, what could and couldn't be done, and they took what was supposed to be a blessing and turned it into a burden. Now Jesus in, in, stands up to the Pharisees and he begins to defend what he and the, and the disciples are doing and, and he points back to his story out of the Old Testament. He said to them, If you never read what David and those who were with him did when he was in need and hungry, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiatar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priests, and also gave some to his companions. Now he... He goes back to David, who uh, would have been certainly a, a revered figure for the Jews in those days, but also for, for the Roman citizens who were not Jews, they would have had great respect for David as a military commander. So for Mark's audience then, by him telling this story that, that, that Jesus relayed of David, he's, he's lifting up this, this figure in the Old Testament who is respected by everyone. And, he's, and, and Jesus says, now look, I'll remind you that, that David and and his men did what was not lawful in order to meet their needs because they, they were coming in from, um, they, they'd been out, they'd been, um, in, that, in that time David and, and his men are fleeing from Saul, so they're running for their lives, they come to the temple, the only bread that's there is the bread of the presence that's only, um, that only the priests were allowed to eat, and yet David and his men ate it. Because it was there to be a blessing. 
And then he told them, this is important, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So then the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now, now in, in these last two um, sentences here, Jesus makes two very important points. First of all, the purpose of the Sabbath was meant for us. The Sabbath was given to us as a gift to be a day of rest so that we might do a couple of things. First of all, so that we might rest. That we might uh, have a break from work so that our bodies might recover. But also so that we might focus on the blessings that the Lord has given to us and focus our attention on him. That we might be reminded of his goodness to us. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Sabbath was not something that we should serve, that, that we should have to um, almost, in, in the way the Pharisees handled it, almost worship this, this day of the Sabbath rather than the God of the Sabbath. Rather, it was given to us as a gift. And then Jesus makes this next statement, which, which is really striking. So then the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. See here, Jesus claims to have the authority of God, the one who created the Sabbath. And he's saying, therefore, I, I as God in the flesh have um, authority. I am over even the Sabbath. And you can imagine that did not go over well with the religious leaders. Jesus is not appealing to some higher authority. He's saying he is the higher authority. And he's overruling their rules and their restrictions. Now, now, keep in mind, Jesus is not going against what the Old Testament said. What Jesus is fighting against are the extra rules and the extra regulations that the Pharisees have put on top of the law. See, one of the things I think we see here is that God is very serious about the things that he has commanded. But he's also very serious about those who would add to his commands, who would take his commands further than Scripture would take them. There are any number of, of uh, examples we could give of that today, but, but let me just, just plead with you right now. Be very careful when we come to the Bible to not certainly not take away from the commands that God has given to us, but not add to them either. Because keep in mind, the law, the Old Testament law was given, much like the Sabbath, not to be a burden on us, but to be a blessing. In fact, Paul would even say it was given to reveal our sin to us, to show the, the level of holiness that God expects, and to show us that we're not able to live up to that. In which case we might say, well, that sounds kind of burdensome, until we realize that Christ Jesus came to forgive that sin. So if the law is there to reveal to us that we cannot meet these regulations, that we cannot live up to God's holiness, that should point us to the Savior who forgives sin, who makes us holy despite our unworthiness. And then the law still tells us how we are to live. Isn't that, isn't that a good thing? If you're, if you're taking a job don't you want to know the, the expectations of that job? Don't you want to know what, what, what the, the list of your um, tasks is going to be? 
That's what the law does. It tells us how we live as people, uh, as, as followers of Christ. Scripture will continually tell us, live this way because you're a follower of Christ. Maybe one of the clearest parts of, uh, passages of Scripture that points us to that is, is in the beginning of uh, Colossians chapter 3, where Paul simply says, get your eyes up. As, as followers of Christ, then set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. So that Scripture will tell us how to live, how to walk as followers of Christ. As a blessing, not as a burden. So that's the first thing. Jesus came to bring us real, lasting rest. Not that we'd be burdened, but that we would experience the blessing of a Sabbath rest. And then the second thing we're going to see is that Jesus came to heal what was broken. Look with me at chapter 3. Jesus entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a shriveled hand. In order to accuse him, they were watching him closely to see whether he would heal them on the Sabbath. He told the man with the shriveled hand, stand before us. Then he said to them, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. After looking around at them with anger, he was grieved at the hardness of their hearts and told the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and his hand was restored. Immediately the Pharisees went out and started plotting with the Herodians against him how they might kill him. So Jesus enters the synagogue, okay? Jesus and his disciples go to church. That would be the equivalent of the, of the synagogue. They go into a local church. And we're told there was a man there who's, who, who had a shriveled hand. Obviously, he'd come there to worship as well, and, and it was custom uh, practice for during prayers for, for the Jews to lift their hands. And so, I, you know, it makes you wonder if, if when, he, when he would lift his hands, if he'd become a little self-conscious about this, this shriveled hand. We're not told exactly what the, what the condition was. We're not told what caused it. Just that he had this, he had this deformity. And then look at verse 2. In order to accuse him, they, referring to the Pharisees, were watching him closely to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath. So the Pharisees here are not at church to worship. They're here just to try to catch Jesus in doing something that their law forbid him to do. Maybe it's, it's possible that that they are even trying to set Jesus up by maybe moving this, this man with a shriveled hand over closer to Jesus. Maybe telling him, hey, if, you know, if you'll just raise your hands, we really want to see you worshiping. They're, they're trying to catch Jesus in some act so that they might get rid of him. Jesus, of course, realizes what they're doing, so he simply tells the man with the shriveled hand, stand before us, puts him on center, dis center display. And then he asks a question, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. Isn't that incredible? Jesus just asked, listen, this is a, this is a day of rest. Therefore, should, should we do what is good or not? Should we seek to bring life or not? And they're silent. They refuse to answer. 
after looking around at them with anger. So, so I, I picture here, I imagine that Jesus is, just kind of lets that question hang out there for a little while. And there's this long, awkward silence as nobody says anything. It says he was grieved at the hardness of their hearts. So he told the man, stretch out your hand. It says he stretched it out and his hand was restored. Now get this, this, this man goes to church with a deformed hand. He leaves church completely whole and healed. Now the Pharisees were more concerned with their religious traditions than they were with people. They, they put a man with this deformity near Jesus, not, not in hopes that this man might be healed, but in hopes that they can catch Jesus doing something that their law forbids. So they might accuse him. According to their teaching on, on the Sabbath day, you could only heal someone if a life was in danger. And so because this man's hand, hand did not endanger his life, that they would say, you know what, that's great, you have the power to heal, but, but why don't you just wait till, wait, wait till tomorrow? It's not that big a deal. He doesn't need it healed right now. You just, you just wait till tomorrow. From Jesus' perspective, though, he had the power to heal, and he had the power to heal right then and there, to restore what was broken in this man's life. If we, if we think about it, this is the very reason that Jesus came, right? It's, it, this is an opportunity for, for, for Jesus to teach a deep spiritual truth about, what he, about the power he has to heal Spiritually, by healing this man physically. This is an opportunity for Jesus to show love to a neighbor. And remember what, he, what Jesus taught in Matthew 22, starting in verse 37. He says, uh, he was asked by a, by a lawyer, what's the greatest command? And Jesus said this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. See, for Jesus, loving this man, loving this neighbor as himself meant healing him, even if it went against the religious rules. Not against Scripture, mind you. Let's be very clear about that. Not against what, what the Old Testament actually said, but against the, the extra rules and regulations that the Pharisees had placed on the law. The Pharisees were more concerned with their religious rules than they were with people. And Jesus was much more concerned with people than he was with meeting some kind of expectation. And, and also, keep in mind, this, this should point us to the restoration that will happen at the end of all things. Revelation 21, verse 4, we're, we're told this, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. And we know, obviously, we, we see right now that we still live in a world that's deeply affected by the fall. 
We live in a world where diseases and pandemics are rampant. We live in a world where a pandemic can shut down our very lives as we know it. And yet as we look at these stories of Jesus healing, that should point us forward to this reality that we await for with eager anticipation. That one day he will set everything right. There will be no more pain. There will be no more shriveled hands. There will be no more pandemics. There will be no more loved ones suffering in, in hospitals, isolated from everyone around them. There will be no more loss of job and and economic um, pain and hardships. Everything will be set right. The whole point of Jesus's miracles, and we'll see this more throughout the, throughout the Gospel of Mark, the whole point of those was not just that Jesus could perform these, these cool magic tricks, but it was to prove to his listeners that he was the Son of Man, and that through healing Physically, through calming a storm, he has the ability to heal us spiritually. And as we're now in this already not yet time where we where where the the end has been sealed, we know the end of the story, we wait for that to, to become a reality completely. We can have hope because we see what Christ has done. We see what he did through his miracles. We see what he did through the, through the resurrection, defeating the power of sin and death once for all. And now we have hope that he can do all that. And he'll set everything right, just as he's promised. In verse 6, we're told this. Immediately the Pharisees went out and started plotting with the Herodians against him how they might kill him. So in, through this act of defiance, this, um, th- this act of going against the rules and the regulations the Pharisees had set for the Sabbath, in, in a sense, seals Jesus' death warrant. The, the Pharisees and, and the Herodians, so the Pharisees would have been Jewish religious leaders. The, the Herodians may have been um, Jews who had kind of sold out to the, uh, to the Roman government um, or, or maybe even followers of Herod. The the point is, these two groups normally hated each other. They were not friends. But as you maybe have heard before, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Neither one of these people liked Jesus. The, the Herodians saw Jesus as a threat to Herod. The Pharisees saw Jesus as a threat to their um, way of life and, and their teachings and their followings. And so even though they couldn't stand each other, they hated Jesus more than they hated each other. And they go out and begin plotting how they can get rid of him. And even here, in the beginning of chapter 3, we have what will lead to Jesus' crucifixion later on. Folks, don't miss this. Jesus came to heal what was broken. He came to heal what was broken in a physical world. We see that through, through things like miracles, as we see him healing diseases, um, 
giving sight to those that are blind, calming storms. But all that points us to the spiritual reality that he heals what is broken spiritually. See, everything that we're experiencing right now in a pandemic is a result of sin. Now, hear hear me clearly. I don't think it's a result that because someone has sin in their lives, they're stricken with this awful virus. I don't think that's how it works. But we see that it's, it's the result of a sinful, fallen world. We, we live in a world that does not operate the way God designed it to operate because sin in Genesis 3 fractured God's good design. Furthermore, the Bible tells us that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We, we, we've, we've turned away from God. We've allowed things to creep in And take the place that only God should have. And as I've talked about before, I think we're seeing really those idols revealed in in our own lives, in the lives of the world around us, as as things that we've relied on are suddenly not there. We're we're living in still a somewhat unstable economy. Health is is a question. How how do we recover to whatever whatever normal was? How do we recover that in, in our world? And of course, there are questions whether or not uh, we're ever going to go back to what was normal. As I've shared before, even things like, like sports and, and other forms of entertainment have been temporarily taken away from us. And, and I, I think what that's doing is revealing idols in our own lives, things that we've propped up that, that we tend to find our identity in other than in Christ Jesus. The Bible says as we as we sin against God, as we each seek our identity in something else, we, that leads to brokenness because nothing else can heal that, that void that's inside of us. Sin leads to brokenness. Then we try to fill that void with other things that just that, that, that don't make it because they're, they're not the, they, they can't fill that void that only God can have in our lives. That's the bad news. But the good news is that God sent Christ Jesus to heal our brokenness, to restore us to to the relationship that he wants us to have with him. And if we repent, just as a word that means turn away from sin and believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior, the Bible tells us we can recover and we can pursue God's design in our lives. Maybe you're watching this live stream today and, and you would say, man, you know, I am, I'm in need of rest. Um, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. There, there is real, true, lasting rest to be found in Jesus. Maybe you're simply watching this and you'd say, man, Kyle, I, I recognize some, some things in my life that are broken. As I've tried to manage everything that's, that's going on in my life, I just can't do it. I would remind you that in the story today, we, we saw that Jesus came to heal what was broken as well. As he restored this man's physical life through healing his hand, it should remind us that he has the power to heal what's broken spiritually in our lives as well. If, you're, if your life feels broken I plead with you, turn to Jesus. Repent of sins. 
Turn away from sin. Turn to Christ Jesus. He will heal what's broken in your life. And you can do that today, not through any kind of magic words, but just through, so, through praying a very simple prayer. And this is, what, this is what I would have you pray this morning. Dear Lord, my life is broken. I realize it's because of my sin I need you. I believe Christ came to live, die, and was raised from the dead to rescue me from my sin. Forgive me. I turn from my selfish ways and put my trust in you. I know that Jesus is Lord of all, and I will follow him. Maybe you're here today and you've prayed that prayer for the very first time through this live stream. If that's the case, I would love for you to send us a message either through Facebook or using the form on our, on our website just below the live stream box and uh, just say, I, you know, either you asked Christ to be your Lord and Savior today or you need to know a little bit more about that. Uh, that. That comment box goes directly to my email and I would love to visit with you this week about how you can come to know Jesus. If you're here and you've been a believer for a long time, believe these things. Believe that Christ came to give us rest. And it's okay to put a pause on things occasionally. Keep in mind, Jesus set the example for us even in taking a nap, right? Je- Jesus napped, so, so that, that tells me we should, we should follow his example. And he also he came to heal what was broken. So even if, you, if you've been a follower of Christ for a long time and you'd, you'd look at this passage and say, man, I, I, I know I don't have it all together, rest easy because Jesus does. And he came to heal what was broken. Be encouraged today, believer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for this wonderful story out of your word. Shows us that, that Jesus cuts right through human expectations and human rules. And reminds us that the commands given by God are meant to be a a blessing to us, not a burden. May we rest in that. I I pray we would experience, we would all experience a Sabbath. We, We would take time to just pause and to rest, to let our bodies recover, to refocus our our heart's attention on you. I pray you'd remind us, just as Jesus healed the the man with the shriveled hand, that you came to heal what was broken. May we not take that for granted, but for those of us who've come to faith in Christ Jesus, may we we look at the ways that you've already healed things in us spiritually, and may we trust that as we still see brokenness in our own lives and still see um, a striving after things that don't ultimately matter, May we surrender that to you, trusting that you're going to heal what's broken in us still. As we look back at stories like this, and as we look back at our own lives and the way you've you've put pieces back together, may that give us a living hope that one day everything will be set right once again. Thank you for who you are and for what you've done for us in sending Christ Jesus to the earth. We ask all these things in his name. Amen.